You're listening to Radio Luke's Loose, and I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 63. The title of tonight's episode is Rome's Immigration War on America. So thanks for joining me here this evening for our podcast as uh, well as live stream. I uh, appreciate uh, everyone uh, everyone's support, and thanks so much for joining me. Um, yeah, I had another, this is a Saturday, it's Saturday, October 16th, had another beautiful Saturday of uh, fall weather here in the Cincinnati area. Um, it was a little bit cooler today this time around. Um, it was only in the, uh, only in the 50s. I, I went out and did a little bike riding, and I, I wasn't sure how I should dress. What what I find when when you're out riding a bike, sometimes I, I find it. Sometimes I tend to want to overdress for going cycling because you think, okay, I'm going to be out on a bike, I'm going to be riding. It's going to be cold uh, or at least coolish, and I want to wear more than I should because you get out, you start riding, and, and you get hot. You really do. You you get a little bit sweaty, and it doesn't take much um, to get your body temperature up when you're riding. And you can end up on some days that are even on the cool side, and you can end up getting pretty warm. Um, I wore a sweatshirt today, and uh, that actually was about right. Um, wore a sweatshirt, just wore some biking shorts, and uh, I worked out pretty well. So I, I was, I was, was pretty happy with uh, with my uh, my clothing choice today. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting too. I finally uh, had had a chance the last couple of weeks to do a little bit more leg exercises. And I had, had a chance to do some squats for the first time in a long time. Um, I used to do those quite a bit. And oddly enough, I haven't been able to for a while, not because of my legs, but because of my shoulder. I had this, I don't know, I have this recurring issue sometimes with my left shoulder where it can become very tender. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what the cause of it is, but it gets to the point where I can't even take my arm back to, to hold the, the bar behind my shoulders and my left arm. It just, it, it was just excruciating. And I haven't been able to do uh, squats for the longest time, but it's actually something that's gotten better here recently. And so I can start doing them again. And it, it really does make a difference uh, when I get out and ride, having uh, having a little bit of extra leg strength from those uh, the squats. So that was pretty nice. Uh, it's kind of you kind of feel like you're almost uh, supercharged out there when you haven't done that for a while. You're like wow, all of a sudden I can can climb these hills and do some things that uh, more easily than what I could before. So that was that was kind of uh, that was a nice feeling today uh, to have that. Got some yard work done today too. You know the, the funny thing is everybody always associates yard work with uh, with spring. And of course, that is a big time for yard work. But you know, for me, I, I find that yard work in the fall there's actually more to it than uh, than in the spring. There's all this foliage that I have to cut down, and you know, uh, daylilies and things like this that um, you, you just you got to cut that stuff off, and or, or hostas and things like this. You got to go cut it down, get you know, get the uh, the garden ready for the uh, for the winter, and uh, it's it's quite a bit, and. Uh, I had a chance to a couple of weeks ago. I did some and did a little bit more today, and you know maybe next week or the week after I'll, I'll do a little bit more. So I try to kind of parcel it out so I don't get killed with it um, all at once. And of course, you got to bag the stuff up and pitch it out as well. So you you don't want to want to overwhelm all the uh, the uh, the garbage uh, garbage men with uh, with bags full of stuff. So uh, I got a couple of, uh, filled a couple of big trash cans up here today with stuff. I think that was, that's probably about, uh, about good enough for, uh, for one Saturday's worth of work. So anyway, um, with all that in mind, um, 
why don't we go ahead and dive into tonight's caught topic? And I said the, the 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 title of this episode is Rome's Immigration War in America. And I, I kind of got got into this a little bit. I know I've covered this topic before, but I, I kind of cover it from a little different angle here tonight. I was listening to a podcast earlier today. Um, it's the it was the October fifteenth. So it was just put out yesterday by uh, Chris Pinto, his Noise of Thunder Radio uh, podcast. And it was very interesting. He was was talking in there about the Jesuits and uh, and vaccines. And he in, in this uh, and I and I, I'd, I'd recommend you listening to this. Um, by the way, if if you haven't heard it, it's it's very interesting. In fact, I think I'm going to go ahead and put that in the show notes. I want to give credit to where credits due. Some of this, I a little bit of this anyway, I, I did get from listening to Chris Pinto, and he kind of stimulated my thinking while I was out riding today. So I listen to subversive podcasts when I <laughs> when I go bike riding. So anyway, um, I was out riding around today listening to uh, uh, Noise of Thunder Radio. But anyway, he he cited a book which which I I've known about, but I've never really read uh, very much of. It's called Fifty Years in the Church of Rome by a gentleman by the name of Charles Chinaque, uh, who was a a Catholic priest, and and he he came out of of the Roman Catholic Church, and he wrote quite a bit. Um, actually, it was this, and this is back in the the eighteen hundreds, so the nineteenth century. So you're going back. I, I don't know the exact date when this book was published, but it was, I think, certainly in the, sometime in the second half of the uh, of the nineteenth century. Uh, but he he wrote a number of things in here, and and I think some of them are germane to our our topic here today. And and what he did is he talked quite a bit about how Rome is just philosophically and always has been opposed to the principles on which the United States was founded. And of course, Chinaque was was absolutely right about that. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit of this uh, to you here. Um. This was a. This actually is is not not specifically um, tied into. Well, it is a little bit tied into it, but I I'm going to get to a more a relevant quote later. But I want to want to read this one paragraph to you because it just caught my attention. I wasn't even looking for it. I just happened to to come across this, and uh, it, it, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read this here. So this is a quote uh, from uh, it's page four seventy six from uh, Chinaque's Fifty Years in the Church of Rome. Quote. Darcy McGee was left almost alone when the votes were taken. From that, the Catholic priest, with the most admirable ability and success, have gathered Irish legions into the great cities of the United States, and the American people must be very blind indeed if they do not see that if they do nothing to prevent it, the day is very near when the Jesuits will rule their country, from the magnificent White House at Washington to the humblest civil and military department of this vast republic. They are already the masters of New York, Baltimore, Chicago, St. Paul, New Orleans, Mobile, Savannah, Cincinnati, Albany, Troy, Michigan, St. Louis, San Francisco, etc. Yes, San Francisco, the rich, the great queen of the Pacific, is in the hands of the Jesuits. Now, of course, what caught my attention about that particular paragraph was he mentioned Cincinnati, which is, of course, where I'm from. And, you know, I I can attest to you that uh, Cincinnati is a, a very heavily Roman Catholic town. Um, German Catholic in in our case, and uh, of course there's a a Jesuit university uh, right here in Cincinnati, Xavier University. It's a Jesuit uh, Jesuit university. It's been around. I don't know exactly when it was founded, but it's founded back in the 19th century. It may have even existed when when Chinaque wrote uh, wrote this book here. 
But yeah, I mean, uh, Cincinnati is, is very heavily Catholic, especially on the west side of Cincinnati. It's very much so. Um, I just thought it was interesting that he called that out uh, in, his, in his book. Uh, but this is something that's interesting here. And, and this, this was actually, that, that, that particular paragraph was on the same page as, as something else that I, I wanted to, to quote to you here tonight. And that, that's why that, that paragraph just kind of caught my eye, even though I wasn't really initially going to, to talk about it. Um, so here is, uh, here's the, the quote that I really wanted to read to you, and I think is, is really ties in with our topic about Roman immigration. And, and it's this, and here, here's the quote, quote, Rome is in constant conspiracy against the rights and liberties of man all over the world, but she is particularly so in the United States. Long before I was ordained a priest, I knew that my church was the most implacable enemy of this republic. My professors of philosophy, history, and theology had been unanimous in telling me that the principles and laws of the Church of Rome were absolutely antagonistic to the laws and principles which are the foundation stones of the Constitution of the United States. Well, end quote here. And yes, he's absolutely right. They are. They're not compatible. Uh, and and this is something that, you know, many people, I mean, Chinequa talked about this back in the 19th century, and there are many other authors uh, at that time that that were warning the American people about this, but you know it it didn't really seem to to change things and uh Chinique cites some some examples here and and then he continues i'll just uh pick up with this. He says, "I could cite many other things proving that the Church of Rome is an absolute and irreconcilable enemy of the United States, but it would be too long. These are sufficient to show the American people that Rome is a viper." which they feed and press upon their bosom. Sooner or later, that viper will bite to death and kill this republic. This was foretold by Lafayette and is now promulgated by the greatest thinkers of our time. And it's interesting. He goes on in the next few paragraphs, and he talks about some of his contemporaries who were saying the same thing. Um, he said, this is, again, this is a quote, quote, uh, the greatest inventor, or rather the immortal father of electric telegraphy, Samuel Morse, Found it out when in Rome he published it in 1834 in his remarkable work, Conspiracies Against the Liberties of the United States. End quote. Just stop right there. So one of the, and I think I've mentioned this before, certainly in a blog post or two. I don't know if I've mentioned this on a podcast, but Samuel F.B. Morse, yeah, that, that guy, the, the famous one, the one, you know, the inventor of Morse code for whom, you know, Morse code is named. And I, I believe if, if I recall correctly, I, I think Samuel Morse was also instrumental in developing the actual telegraph itself. So not only did he come up with the code, but he was also a bit of a an engineer as well and, and developed the, the the telegraph. And that was huge. I mean he was you know he was like Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur in the nineteenth century. I mean you think about what the telegraph did, the electric telegraph did to communications. And it was extraordinary. Um the the speed, the increase in the the speed of communications due to the telegraph. Uh, it was an amazing invention. But Samuel Morse, uh, he was a Christian, and, and he was, and, and he wrote that book, Conspiracies Against the Liberties of the United States, and he talked specifically about the Roman Catholic Church and, and the kind of work that they were doing to undermine uh, this republic. Uh, he cites another individual. He says, that great statesman and patriot, the late Richard W. Thompson, Secretary of the Navy in his admirable work, The Papacy and the Civil Power, says that nothing is plainer than that if the principles of the Church of Rome prevail here, 
talking about the United States, our Constitution would necessarily fall. The two cannot exist together. They are an open and direct antagonism with the fundamental theory of our government and of all popular government everywhere. So that's Richard W. Thompson. He was Secretary of the Navy. So he was not a, you know, again, somebody with, with, uh, you know, with a very significant career. We're not talking about, um, you know, some obscure figures, some fringe figures. I mean, Samuel Morse, uh, Richard W. Thompson, Secretary of the Navy. I mean, th- these were not crazy people. They were not incompetent people. They were not obscure people. I mean, these are people that held important posts that did important things. And, uh, and they were out there warning people. You know, warning, warning, warning. Hey, there's danger here. You know, danger, danger, Will Robinson. What was that? Um, one of the lost in space or something like that. You know, it, it's warning about, the, you know, they were warning people about the dangers of of the Roman church state. You know, John Robinson, his book, Ecclesiastical Megalomania, he has a chapter in there, and it's called uh, How Rome uh, Ruined the United States of America. You know, and, and he talks about all of the the damage that has been done to the United States because of Roman Catholic political and economic philosophy. In fact, that his entire book, you know, the, the Ecclesiastical Megalomania, it's subtitled The Political or the, Eco- the Economic and Political Thought of the Roman Catholic Church. And and he he critiques it um, really amazingly well. And I know I've talked about ecclesiastical megalomania a lot of times on this podcast. I'm going to talk about it again. If you're interested in understanding what Rome teaches about economics and politics, you have to, you have to read that book. Um, it's available. It's in paperback. And I know the Trinity foundation, in fact, they just made an ebook version of that uh, as well. And it's very affordable. I, I, I know the, the the paperback I want to say it's around ten dollars and gosh I can't remember exactly what the price was for the uh, I don't want to misquote it here for you but it's it, it's very inexpensive and it's it is an extraordinary book and and I cannot recommend it to you enough I mean I can tell you my own understanding of Rome and and the economics and politics of Rome it just when I read that book, and I've gone back and re- read it and reread it and reread other sections of it <laughs> and referred to it constantly, um, my understanding is just light years ahead of where it would be if I had not had that book. And, and, and I can tell you that um, with uh, without any doubt. So anyway, uh, Ecclesiastical Megalomania, you got to get that book if you want to learn anything about the Roman Catholic Church. And some of these people in the 19th century, they were, were talking about some of the same things that, that John Robbins talked about. You know, and, and John Robbins also makes that point. I don't know, if, can't remember exactly how he puts it. I don't know if he puts it in exactly the same terms um, as Richard W. Thompson, but basically John Robbins says, yeah, the economic and political thought of Rome is incompatible with the United, the Constitution of the United States of America, with the political and the economic principles on which our country was founded, which is founded principally on uh, on the Scriptures. Um, you know, if there was no Protestant Reformation, there would be no United States of America. Now, there might be some country here, but it wouldn't be the United States of America the way that we know it, or at least it historically has been. Now, what I want to do is, you know, we talked a little bit here about, about Chiniqui and, and about how, you know, he talked about the implacable, uh, animosity that the, the Roman Catholic Church has for the United States. And it always has. I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church is constantly trying to undermine the liberties, both economic and political, of the American people. And we can see that today. Um, 
I mentioned to you that podcast that Chris Pinto Day talked about the Jesuits uh, and the vaccine. You know, and you know, it's it's very interesting that many of the people that are pushing the hardest for vaccines, for vaccine mandates. Um, Anthony Fauci, for example, I mean, as someone who was trained by the Jesuits from his youth up all the way through uh, through his undergraduate, he went to Jesuit school. I think he went, um, I don't think he went to medical school. I don't think it was a Jesuit medical school he went to. I think he may have gone to Cornell. Um, but all the way up through his undergraduate year, uh, undergraduate time, he was, uh, he went to Jesuit school. Uh, you know, so he was, was heavily trained by by the Jesuits, and he's not the only uh, only Jesuit that's pushing vaccines. Of course, the the most powerful Jesuit all of all, Pope Francis. He's uh, he has made it a requirement if you're going to work in the Vatican, you have to be vaccine vaccinated. So he has he's pushing the vaccine mandates um, uh, pretty hard as well. And uh, what I wanted to do anyway, you know, we. You can see this influence of Rome in so many areas, including, like I said, the the vaccine mandates. But I wanted to talk a little bit, rather, um, about Rome and the influence that it has on on immigration. Uh, it's my contention that what you're seeing with you, know, you and you've probably, I mean, if you pay any attention to the news at all, you've probably seen a disaster that's going on on our southern border, and it's getting worse and worse. It's not getting better; it's getting worse. They've got the biggest um, migrant caravan yet. It's about 80,000 strong on the way up from Mexico. And it's probably going to get to our southern border sometime, I would say, probably in the next, I don't know, two or three weeks, fairly soon. It's 80,000 people, which is enormous. And the guy that heads that up, um, you know, I was going to actually save a... uh, give a copy of that here this evening. But the guy that heads it up, his last name is Mujica. And he was quoted as one, at one point as saying, this is war. He's talking about the, you know, talking about all the migrants, he says, and we don't care whether we've got documents or not. This is war. We're just going to come, come barge into the United States of America. Well, it is a war. I mean, we are, the United States of America is under assault uh, by the Roman Catholic Church, by Antichrist. And I think it's, it's important and when I say Antichrist, I'm talking about Pope Francis. You know, he is he is a pope, and the office of the papacy that that is the the biblical Antichrist. Uh, all of the popes are um, not just Pope Francis, but he happens to be the current one. And and the amount of of destruction that uh, that Rome. Uh, is is reeking on the United States is is truly extraordinary, and it's not just limited to immigration either. I mean, you, what you have, we have a Roman Catholic president, I think an illegitimate Roman Catholic president, um, who is carrying out the Pope's marching orders. And in fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, she was just over there uh, talking to the Pope and getting her marching orders. And uh, Joe Biden is going to be going over and visit the Pope. And he's going to get his marching orders. He's going to go talk to his boss. And uh, and find out what uh, what his boss expects out of him. And you know the you know Rome has a long history of using immigration to try as a tool um, to subvert the United States of America, and not just the United States only. I'm going to talk about the United States, but it it does the same thing in other countries as well. I mean, you can look at the migrant flood that's been unleashed in uh, in in Europe, and it has been substantially encouraged. Uh, by Pope Francis and by the Roman Catholic Church generally. Uh, that's something that they want to do. They want to undermine independent nation states 
And that this mass migration, mass welfare migration, is a tool that that they use to do that. They destabilize countries, they undermine countries, and and by weakening, undermining in you know independent nations, it makes it easier to push globalism, world government, and and the Church of Rome is the biggest, uh, oldest, and um, most powerful. Uh, exponent of the push for globalism. I mean, Romanism is is all about world government, and many popes have talked about this, including Pope Francis. I mean, they're very open about it. So when we talk about Roman world government, it's not like it's some deep dark conspiracy. It's like, oh no, no, everybody, yeah, oh you got to go look through some some ancient tome written in the the eleventh century, you know, that's held in some musty dusty library in the you know in the Italian Alps or something. No, it's not like that at all. I mean, these guys are out there just just uh flacking for world government uh you know right out there on uh on social media and 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 on the internet i mean it's they don't even try to hide it they you know the pope he loves world government the roman catholic church they love world government they hate the idea of independent nation states and they always have and of course they especially hate the united states of america because you know it's a country that was founded on biblical that is is founded on protestant principles and, and they have always detested it, and they have always wanted to subvert it. And they've sadly been pretty successful at doing that. Uh, they, they really have. Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But what I wanted to do here for you tonight is I, I wanted to just show you, just in brief, how the the Roman Catholic Church has been conducting immigration war on the United States. And, and we could go back a lot further. Uh, a lot further than than what I'm going to, but I'm just going to go back to 2016, for example. And let me do do a quick screen share here for you. Um, let's see, that's not what we want. I think we want this. Okay, all right. Here, so here we go. We got smiling Pope Frankie, and uh, I guess uh, Jorge Bergoglio, I guess is his real name. But he's he's doing business as Pope Francis I, and and this is a an article from uh, the New York Times from uh, February seventeenth, twenty sixteen. It's got the headline: Pope Francis wades into U.S. immigration morass with border trip. And you you can I'll just read a little bit of this here. Quote: Stepping to the concrete edge of the Rio Grande, Pope Francis on Wednesday went to a militarized divide of the United States-Mexican border and prayed for compassion toward immigrants. He never set for the United States, but he did step directly and deliberately into the acrimonious American debate over immigration. So this is going back to 2016. Pope Francis, he actually made a trip to uh, Juarez, Mexico, which is right on the border. It's, it's literally right across the, right on the U.S.-Mexico border. And uh, it it sits just opposite of uh, of El Paso, Texas. If you look on a map, El Paso, Texas is in the extreme western tip of of Texas. Uh, Juarez is right across right across the border, and, and Juarez is a big place. I think maybe two million people in in Juarez. Uh, I had the opportunity to visit uh, in uh, in El Paso, and and even was able to go over to to Juarez a, a couple of years ago. And Juarez was much bigger than what I thought it would be. I, I didn't realize it was was such a big city, but it, it is. And and Pope Francis made a, a special appearance there, right on the border, in uh, in 2016, and and he pushed the the Roman Catholic immigration uh, program, a migration program, which is basically what they want to do is flood the United States of America with immigrants, migrants, and refugees, put them all on the dole and have them vote for the Democrats. And, uh, also of course, bolster the power of the, the Roman Catholic church in the United States. 
You know, that, that's the whole goal. And, of course, he's got his compliant lackey in the White House who's more than happy to, uh, to carry out his, uh, his orders. You know, um, of course, I'm talking about, uh, about Joe Biden. So back in 2016, the Pope makes this trip. And uh, on, the, uh, on the way home, I guess he's flying back, to, uh, back from this big uh, trip that he made to Mexico. And, and on the way back home, uh, he made this comment. He says, uh, he says the, the, the Trump was not a Christian. Here's a headline. This is from NPR. And this is on February 18th. So this is the very next day, February 18th, 2016. Pope says Trump is not Christian. And if you read through this particular article, I'll just read through a bit of this here. It says, Donald Trump has feuded with other candidates, reporters, and TV networks during his run for president. Now the front runner for the Republican nomination is feuding with Pope Francis. On Thursday, the pontiff criticized Trump for the proposal at the heart of his campaign, campaign, a pledge to keep people from crossing the United States illegally by building a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. This is the Pope, quote, I just say that this man is not Christian if he said it that way, end quote. Francis told reporters in mid-flight press conference after the trip to Mexico, quote, a person who thinks only about building walls wherever they may be and not building bridges is not Christian, end quote. Francis said, according to the Associated Press translation of the press conference, Trump wasted no time in firing back, quote, if and when the Vatican is attacked by ISIS, which as everyone knows is ISIS' ultimate trophy, I can promise you that the Pope would have only wished and prayed that Donald Trump would have been president because this would not have happened. End quote. Trump said in a statement released by his campaign. Quote, for a religious leader to question a person's faith is disgraceful. End quote. Again, that was Donald Trump. Um, and, and I remember when that happened. It wasn't that long ago. Although it seems like an eternity ago in some respects. But, you know, I remember when that happened. That was one of the things when I really started to actually get interested in Donald Trump. Because he's the only political candidate I had ever heard in my entire life up to that point, And still to this day, have, have the only political candidate I've ever heard actually punch back on the Pope. He returned fire. I mean, most most political candidates, when the Pope gets up there and says something, they either, you know, obsequiously bow and scrape before him, or they they maybe try to ignore it. But uh, but Donald Trump, well, he went just fired right back at the Pope. I loved it. I thought it was great, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he did that. Um, and if you you fast forward here, so all that was back in in 2016, and then of course we had. Uh, all of the uh, the ridiculous nonsense in 2020. You had the uh, the COVID situation, which I believe was engineered. You had the George Floyd situation, which again I believe was engineered. You had the the bogus election, which again I believe was engineered. I don't think there's any question about that. And if if I had to to give you an opinion, I think it was principally the Roman Catholic Church who was behind rigging that election in 2020. And surprise, surprise, who do we get? We get a Roman Catholic president. Um, and who's dutifully carrying out the, uh, the political Romanism of, uh, of, uh, of Antichrist. I mean, that, that's, that's what Joe Biden is doing. And if you can go right down the line, whether you're talking about, uh, vaccines and vaccine mandates, whether you're talking about environmentalism, whether you're talking about immigration, whether you're talking about um, massively increasing the socialism in the United States, he's pushing the Pope's political program. That's what he's doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's political Romanism, pure and simple.
Um, let's see here. There was a... Uh, I guess I didn't save it here. But uh, there was a uh, an article that I had that was uh, written by... Uh, well, it was something that was done... I guess in uh, earlier this year in 2021, it was the five-year anniversary of Pope Francis making his trip to uh, to Juarez, and and he wrote this letter to uh, I don't know I guess the bishop or something of uh, Juarez, and in that in that letter that he uh, he sent to the bishop commemorating the five-year anniversary of of his big trip to Juarez, that uh, you know he again you know he was pushing the the whole thing uh, about the migrants. So I mean again you, know, you go back to 2016, you get it again in 2021, uh, and 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 you know it's 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 the it's the the Pope's program. And again, you can go back further than that. You can go back to um, way back to to 1952. When uh, when the uh, there was a uh, important document in Rome that was written, it's called Exul Familia by then uh, Pope Pius the uh, Pope Pius the twelfth. But I don't want to get too far on down that. But I mean, let's put it this way: the the popes of Rome have been pushing mass migration as a weapon to destabilize countries and to push their agenda for uh, pretty close to seventy years, and maybe even before that. So, I mean, what Pope Francis is doing is not something that's unique to him, although a lot of people say, oh, well, he's this this terrible socialist pope. He's really not doing anything that all the popes before him didn't do. No, he's working to recover the uh, the power and the, and the prestige of the Roman Catholic Church, which was severely damaged. They received a mortal wound at the time of the Reformation, and, and of course, it's an organization that's recovering from that mortal wound, and it's an organization that's bigger and in some ways probably more powerful than it's ever been before. Um, now, if, if we fast forward again, you know, talking about 2021, not only did the, the Pope send a letter to his uh, to the bishops in Juarez commemorating the five-year anniversary of their push to invade America with migrants, um, you see that they succeeded to a very large degree. There's a... Let's see, there was an article that came out. Oh, in fact, oh, here's the article. In fact, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I missed that thing. Um, here's the report that, that I have. I was going to say this is the, the report commemorating the five-year anniversary of the Pope's trip. Uh, Pope calls on faithful to help migrants achieve new life. Francis sends a letter to Juarez Catholic Diocese reflecting his 2016 visit. And and when you go through here, I mean, he does. I mean, he he talks in here about uh, about... Uh, about mass migration, what the what the the church calls migration, of course, what would more probably be called be illegal immigration, uh, illegal welfare migration, or illegal welfare immigration, I guess, if you will, because of course there are massive, massive, massive taxpayer subsidies that are paid out for this stuff. Um, you know, the Pope's certainly not using his money um, to invade the United States. What he wants to do is he wants to dump millions upon millions upon millions of migrants on the American taxpayer and tell us. We have the we have the the obligation, the duty to pay for this stuff, uh, which we don't. But I mean, that's that's his um, his Roman Catholic theology and and philosophy uh, coming through. So uh, here we are in 2021, and we've got uh, we find ourselves we've we've got a very uh, dire situation going on. There's a uh, an article, and this was. Uh, 
just from earlier this week. Let's see, it's from October 11th. So it was just a few days ago, just five days ago. Um, 100 million in border wall materials rushing away in Texas. Report. This is from the New York Post. Quote, more than 100 million worth of taxpayer border wall materials have been discarded and are going to waste in Texas after President Biden ended construction of the barrier when he entered the White House in January and canceled contracts for its construction, according to a report. A Fox News drone captured footage of around 10,000 steel panels, enough to build 100 miles of wall, rusting in the sun in far Texas since January. Only about 14 miles of the wall was built before former President Donald Trump left office. So they barely even got started on the wall. I mean, when you think about it, the U.S.-Mexico border, I think it's, it's something around 2,000 miles. So, I mean, the, the wall that Trump built hardly is even a, a factor at all. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a very small thing compared to the, the vastness of the, the border between the two countries. Uh, and... Uh, uh, it quotes uh, Bill Malugin of Fox News. Keep in mind, taxpayers have already paid for this. And so we, we, you know, taxpayers, we paid for all this stuff. It's sitting out there in the desert. It's doing no good while hundreds of thousands, of, you know, who knows what the actual number is, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of migrants pour into our country every month. And we've got the uh, materials for the wall sitting there doing nothing. They're just baking and, and rusting in the, uh, in the desert out there. Um, there is a tweet that I saw in this. I'm going to, uh, share this here. This will be on the, that's got to be a little big there. Okay. Yeah. This is a, uh, a, a crossing. It's, uh, it's a tweet here. It's put out by a gentleman named, uh, Julio Rosas. And he says, this scene plays out all day by, uh, Morello Stam. People eagerly, illegally cross into the U.S. They wait for border patrol since agents are not often there. Uh, they are then escorted through a gap in the border wall that was created when Biden halted construction. This group is Nicaraguans. And it shows, I don't know, several dozen people. They're just walking through a big gap in the wall. Uh, and again, the, you know, this is, this is the Pope's immigration program. Just flood the United States with migrants, welfare migrants. Um, now, what's interesting, too, is that even... Uh, some Roman Catholic writers have acknowledged Rome's uh, importance in the the ongoing uh, immigration disaster in the United States. Here's one example. This is this is from a few years ago, and I've used this before, but I think it's very relevant. Uh, it's a headline from Newsmax: Bannon, Catholic Church, one of the worst instigators of open borders policy. And this is talking about Steve Bannon. He used to be. Trump's, uh, I believe he's Trump's chief, chief political strategist, I think was the title that he held. Um, and uh, Bannon says this, quote, The Pope, more than anybody else, has driven the migrant crisis in Europe, declared Bannon, who is Catholic. The Catholic Church have gone after New York Archbishop Cardinal Timothy Dolan. The Catholic Church is one of the worst instigators of the open borders policy. No question about that. None at all. And, and Steve Bannon's honest enough to, uh, to say that. Now, here's another, uh, another quote from Bannon. Again, this is one that I've used before. Um, but uh, it's a headline from the Washington Post from 2017. Bannon, Catholic Church needs illegal aliens to fill the churches. And well, let's see here. Oh, goodness, I think that... Uh, Uh, 
I thought I was signed in on that. It looks like I'm not. Okay, it looks like I don't have access to that article right now. But anyway, yeah, he he talks in that article about you know that the Roman Catholic Church is is pushing this uh, this mass migration because they want to fill the churches. It increases their power, and in, in the bishops and uh, and the like are responsible for it. And of course, Steve Ban's absolutely right. And it's what's very interesting about all that is that he he himself is Roman Catholic. Here's another article. Now, this is one from uh, January 2020. Uh, by Michelle Malkin, uh, who is a pretty well-known conservative writer, and uh, she is a Roman Catholic. And here's a headline from, from her article, Illegal Immigrant Caravans and Criminal Catholics. Mm, very interesting. And let's see here. And I got a pop-up from Norton there. I got to get rid of that. Okay, so, all right, here's, here's a paragraph. I'd like to go ahead and read this here. Quote, As I have reported on my investigations in Open Borders, Inc., the Catholic Underground Railroad of migrant safe houses that extend across Central America, through Mexico, and up to and into the U.S. is a well-oiled machine. The United Nations International Organization for Migration in Mexico has guaranteed supplies of medicine, hygiene products, construction materials, as well as therapy services and legal training for caravan marchers who are housed at the Hermanos in El Camino Shelter, along with the Catholic-run Hogar de la Misericordia Shelter, and Jesus El Buen Pastor del Pobre y El Migrante Shelter. Yeah, I hope my, my Spanish wasn't too bad there. Funding comes not just from Catholic parishioners, but also U.S. tax dollars. The LA-72 shelter in Tunisique is run by Franciscans. The El uh, Caminante Shelter in Palenque is overseen by Catholic nuns. The Scalabridians operate Casa del Migrante in Tijuana and have managed an entire shelter ministry network since 1999. So, uh, oh, and here's here's something else here. She also mentions, uh, also in uh, uh, Tapachula, the Jesuit Refugee Service opens its churches and pastoral centers to provide shelter, monetary aid, voluntary aid, and emergency assistance. Its team of lawyers, psychologists, social workers, and Jesuit clergy spread from uh, Tapachula to Comalapa uh, in Mexico City. JRS, I think that's Je Jesuit Refugee Service, uh, JRS staff served as Sherpas for the 2018 caravan marchers and liaisons with the UN High Commission for Refugees. Uh, Jaime Calderon, uh, Calderon, the Catholic Bishop of Tapachula, Mexico, immediately pledged aid this month to the newest waves of border jumpers and river crossers openly acknowledging he received a heads up from other bishops in the Northern Triangle, that is Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. By Calderon, the bishops blamed violence for the most recent invasion. Homicide rates have either fluctuated or fallen significantly in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, since Barack Obama's executive amnesty programs, uh, DAPA and DACA and DAPA were announced in 2012. Um, so, you know, back then, of course, in, this is in, in 2020, not, not even two years ago, they were, were talking about fleeing violence. Well, I mean, of course, they, they still claim that. But of course, another thing that, uh, that the popes and, and other, uh, uh, other, uh, people who are pushing the, the welfare migration, I think Joe Biden even had mentioned this here recently. They talk about climate, climate change migrants that, oh, the climate's gotten so bad that, that all these people have to flee. Well, I think that's a bunch of hooey. I mean, there's no evidence to support any of that. That's all made up. 
but they they cite it anyway. And of course, it, it has a double, uh, at least uh, two uses for them. It lets them push the climate, the bogus climate change hoax. So it does let them push that, and it also lets them uh, continue to flood the United States with uh, with immigrants, migrants, and refugees. Put them on the dole, and and uh, you know these are of course they're all uh, future Democrat. Uh, Democrats of America, and the Roman Catholic Church wins, of course, the Democratic Party wins. Who loses? The American people lose. It's a scam. It's an immigration scam. And you know, it's uh, it's it's good to see you know you know even Roman Catholic writer such as uh, you know Michelle Malkin. I mean, she even brings that out. She's honest enough to do that, and I, um, you know, that's that, that's good of her to to mention those things. You know, sometimes you, you wonder, you know, you see some of these Roman Catholics who, who see some of the very serious problems in what their church does. And of course, you hope maybe that the, uh, that the Lord would, would uh, open their eyes to some other, uh, false teaching of, uh, of Rome, the, the false gospel and, and bring them out of that. And, and who knows? Maybe he will do that. Um, I mean, certainly many Roman Catholics have left, uh, the Church of Rome. I read something here recently where they said there are 30 million Americans who describe themselves as ex-Roman Catholics. Um, there's a lot of ex-Roman Catholics who've been saved. You know, uh, they, they, they either maybe they left the church in disgust or were saved, or maybe they were saved and and left the church. I I don't know which it is, but I I myself have known many many Roman Catholics who've who've uh, who've come out of Rome uh, and uh, and are, are Bible believing Christians. You know, we praise God for that. You know, that that God. You know, so simply because somebody's a Roman Catholic doesn't mean that they're they're without hope because God brings His people out out of Rome as well. Uh, and they're some of the finest Christians I've known. I, I can tell you that too. I mean, there's some really wonderful Christian people that I have known uh, who have been saved out of out of Roman Catholic darkness, and so we you know, we we thank God for that. Um, I guess in summary, when we're talking about this whole immigration things, I mean, it really seems as if the Biden regime is just working overtime to destroy the United States beyond repair before people can wake up and do anything about it. So, I mean, they're, they're trying to, to basically bring in as many people as they can, as fast as they can, any which way they can, and, and, and hope that that's somehow going to be enough to, to I guess, carry them through to the point where uh, there's going to be such a flood of, of immigrants, migrants, and refugees all voting Democrat that even if, if every last American <laughs> voted for, uh, voted against them and voted for, for people that, that would defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States of America, that it wouldn't matter. You know, maybe that, that seems to be, uh, be the plan here. They, they are in a rush, uh, to make things happen as, uh, as quickly as they can. Now, now all of this, Really, I think should prompt you know as as Christians, you know as as Reformed believers, you know, I, I think it's it's important for us to really ask ourselves, you know, why is this happening to America? You know, why are these things happening? Uh, I mean, we're in the process basically of being dispossessed, having our our country stolen right from us um, by a Roman Catholic president carrying out the Pope's globalist immigration policies. It's happening right in front of our faces, and nobody seems to be able to do all that much about it. In fact, you know, the Biden regime, far from trying to stop the mass welfare migration on the southern border, they're doing everything they can to encourage it. According to Tucker Carlson, this is something fairly recent from Tucker Carlson, the Biden regime is importing its future constituency. This is what Tucker Carlson said, quote, So waiting under the bridge in Del Rio tonight is the Democratic Party's future electoral majority. That's That's what it really is, 
and that's why they're protected. Why they're protected, so they can do whatever they want. And he and, and Tucker Carlson is absolutely right. That that's that's why this is being done. This is the Democrats' future electoral majority. They're importing. Now you know in back in in the time of ancient Israel, you know the uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote something very similar about what was going on in Judah in his day. And this is from uh, Isaiah 1.7. He wrote this, quote, Your land, strangers devoured in your presence. End quote. And that, that particular quote, that's from Isaiah chapter 1, and it's part of a longer indictment that, that God is bringing against the nation of Judah. And, and he's telling them, you know, you guys have turned your back on me. You know, you've, you've, you've gone away backwards. So, I mean, not only has, has Judah not following God, they're actually going in 180 degrees opposite of the direction they should be going. And one of the results of that is that their land is being devoured by strangers in their presence. Now, I, I think it's important, you know, what Isaiah says when he says, strangers devour your land in your presence. Because, you know, when, when somebody, you know, maybe is out to, to hurt you, maybe to steal from you or, or do something uh, um, that, that's uh, contrary to your interest, something that's illegal, something that's unethical, uh, and they do it behind your back, that tells, that tells you that maybe they, they're a little afraid of if they did something openly, what might happen to them. You know, maybe they'd receive punishment. Maybe you'd, you, you, you'd catch them and, and uh, you'd punish them yourself or, or turn them over to the police to be punished or something like this. But they're, they're afraid. You know, they don't want to do their evil deeds openly. But what was going on in Judah is their land was being devoured in their presence, right in their face, so to speak. And, and that, that's significant because when somebody does something in your presence, when they do it right in your face, they're disrespecting you because what they're saying is, I'm going to go and I'm going to, to hurt you and you're not going to do anything about it. Or I'm going to double dog dare you to do anything about it because I don't think you can because I think you're too weak, you're too cowardly to actually do anything. And that was true of Judah back in the day. They were very weak. Uh, they were very cowardly. They had cut themselves off. You know, you think about think about what Jesus said. You know, he talked about in in uh, in John. He says, "You know, I'm the vine; you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing." Well, you know, Judah had cut themselves off from God, and as a result, they were they were dying. You know, the the nation was in the process of dying. And I would submit to you, I think the United States is in much the same position. You know, we have cut ourselves off from the source of our strength. You know, the United States is an outgrowth of the Protestant Reformation. The United States was, in, I think, in a very real sense, founded by Puritans. But who to, how many of us today really, really hold to the doctrines of the Puritans? Even Reformed churches. You know, the, the, the Presbyterian Church, uh, the uh, PCUSA, Presbyterian Church in the USA, that is an apostate denomination. You know, they, they have gay marriages. They have women pastors and elders. And lots of other such things they do. Um, they do not teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's more of a social club. And and our churches have been consumed with lies and false theology. These are the reformed churches where formerly the gospel was preached. Now, you know, they've become synagogues of Satan. And this has infected our entire society and it has destroyed our society. We have turned our back upon God. 
and he's visiting upon our heads our own sins. I mean, I, I really do believe that that's ultimately the reason why this is going on. I mean, you can sit here and you can blame the Roman Catholic Church and say, oh, well, you know, all these, these bishops, you know, they're sitting here and they're doing all this terrible stuff. And, well, they are doing terrible things. But we have to ask ourselves why they're being allowed to do this stuff. Why are our enemies being allowed to triumph over us? You know, and I would submit to you because we've turned our backs on God. Now, yes, there are faithful Christians in America. There is a remnant. We, we do have a faithful remnant. Just like Judah had a faithful remnant back in Isaiah's day. In fact, Isaiah even refers to it. You know, the, the Lord of hosts rep, left us a very small remnant, he says. Remnant. And there's a remnant here in the United States. So I don't mean to say that there aren't any Christians. But Christian ideas do not inform what our government does anymore. Um, or if there are any, it's just more of a residual, um, you know, we're, we're kind of, kind of, uh, um, you know, maybe, uh, running on our, uh, traditions, uh, running on fumes, um, uh, from the past rather than because there's really active, uh, than because Christians are really deeply involved in what's going on in government. Now, yes, I know that there are Christians involved in government. I know that there are people who uh, do care about the Constitution, who do care about liberty, who do care about limited government. Those people do exist, and we thank God for them. You know, they're salt and light uh, at, at a time when when we very desperately need it. But um, in terms of you know the idea that that there are, are Christian ideas that are guiding our country. No, there's 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 very little to no um, uh, Christian input in in our major institutions. I mean, look what's happened to our to, to our institutions in this country. Whether you're talking about our government, uh, whether you're talking about our military, whether you're talking about our corporations, our schools, our media, uh, entertainment, our culture has become a sewer. It's filled with all this woke. Uh, Marxist nonsense. And, you know, in, in the people, you know, the, the historic American nation um, is beaten, beaten to a pulp. You know, I mean, you think back about the people who founded this country, they were, they were Protestants. You know, but what's happened to the Protestant witness in the United States of America? It's almost disappeared. You know, I, you know John Robbins talked about this. Um, several times in, in some of his works. And in fact, here's a, uh, I'll read you just a little bit of, uh, this is from the beginning of uh, an essay that he wrote called the, Re uh, the religious wars of the 21st century. And he talks very specifically here about the reason for the collapse of the West. And you can speak of the West very broadly, um, or the United States of America specifically, because, but I mean, in, in the, the causes, is the same. It's the disappearance of Christianity from the West. Let me just read a couple quick paragraphs here for you uh, from the beginning. Uh, quote, the phrase collapse of a civilization is a common figure of speech that misleads many into thinking that civilizations collapse in much the same way the buildings collapsed during controlled demolitions, or like the twin towers of the World Trade Center collapsed on September 11th, 2001. The whole affair, they think, is dramatic, obvious, and over in a relatively short period of time. And when it is done, nothing is left but dust and rubble. The metaphor of civilizational collapse is misleading, and some people, under its influence, deny that the West is in collapse. But civilizations do not come crashing down in a matter of months or even years, and it's foolish to expect them to do so. The West has been in collapse for more than a century. 
The biblical theology that created Western civilization 500 years ago has all but disappeared from the West. The rejection of Christianity in North America and Europe, and the rise of several false religions, including Arminianism, Romanism, Pentecostalism, Atheism, and Mysticism, have led to the collapse of the West. That collapse is marked by, or more accurately, is the dissolution of the biblical family, husband, wife, and children, the economic and political regimentation of the individual and business enterprises, government ownership and control of most educational institutions, the growth of crime, the waning of civility, the acceptance of public profanity, obscenity, and homosexuality, and the resurgence of brutality. To oppose some of this civilizational collapse, the religious right in America has embraced both Romanism and Judaism as saviors of the West, foolishly ignorant of the fact that they, as forms of unbelief, are destroyers of the West and causes of the collapse. What we call Western civilization arose because of the widespread preaching of preaching and belief and believing of the gospel of justification by faith alone. Theologies that deny this doctrine are fatal to both souls and societies. End quote. So notice here the, the important idea. He really brings forth a couple of very important ideas here. He talks about uh, the fact that um, that the biblical theology that created Western civilization 500 years ago has all but disappeared from the West. And because of the disappearance of Christianity in the West, you have this rise, uh, you, you have the collapse of the West. It's Christianity that built Western civilization. It's Christianity that, that built the United States of America. And the disappearance of Christianity is, is what has uh, brought about the collapse of the West and of the United States of America. You know, what we call Western civilization arose because of the widespread preaching and believing of the gospel of justification by faith alone. That's what John Robbins said, and he's absolutely right about that. And it's the disappearance of the widespread preaching and believing of the gospel of justification by faith alone that's leading to our demise. And the air is going out of the balloon pretty quickly. You know, it's amazing how fast things are falling apart. Now, you know, I say some of this, of course, and we're coming up on uh, on Reformation Day. You know, Reformation Day is in just a couple weeks, October 31st. You know, most people call that Halloween, but I, I call that Reformation Day. Because, uh, of course, October 31st, 1517, that's when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the wall of the, of the door of the uh, Wittenberg Church in, in Germany, you know, kicking off the, uh, the, the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, you know, we just celebrated 500 years uh, back in, uh, well, 2017. So it's 504 years ago uh, at, at this point. But we, you know, we're coming up on another anniversary, the the 504th anniversary of the of the Protestant Reformation, and the Protestant Reformation is in pretty sorry shape. You know, we need to cry out to God as 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 believers, as Christians, that He would send reformation, that He would send renewal, that. Once again, there would be widespread preaching of and belief in the gospel of justification by faith alone. That's the basis for our entire civilization. And yet, how many times have you ever heard that mentioned uh, in any sermon, in any, in any church? Um, if you're like me, you, you maybe never have heard that. Because we're not taught to think in terms of that there's a connection between the, the Protestant Reformation and, and the liberties economic and political that we have historically enjoyed, but there is. Those two things go together. You know, Jesus said, if the Son of Man make you free, you shall be free indeed. 
And, and of course, he was talking about spiritual freedom. But spiritual freedom always precedes uh, economic and political freedom. It's that, that liberty that we have in, in Christ that leads to all of the wonderful things in, in the West that, that you and I have come to enjoy and maybe even thought of as a bit of our, a bit as, as our birthright. And we need to cry out to God, you know, that we would repent of our own sins and, and that we would be salt and light and that that gospel would go forth. And if that gospel of justification by faith alone goes forth, the political and economic liberty will take care of themselves. But it's, it's first all about teaching the truth as we find it in God's word. You know, when, when Israel was followed the Lord, they were free, they were prosperous. When Israel turned their back on God, they turned away backward, as, as uh, Isaiah uh, said that, that they did. Well, they, they found themselves quickly in collapse and, and were in that same situation uh, here in, in 2021 that Israel was facing, you know, that uh, many, uh, well, it was over 2,500 years ago um, when, when Isaiah wrote, uh, wrote those words. So let, uh, let us pray uh, here as we come up on Reformation Day. Let's pray that God would send Reformation to our land and deliver us from this, this horrible mess uh, that, that we have made for ourselves. So I want to leave you with that thought. Thanks so much for joining me here this evening. I, I really appreciate that. I wish you well. And until we meet again next time, may the Spirit of Truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word.